Um, Luke chapter six, let's get into it. New series called Basic. Religion, religion is relationship complicated. Religion is relationship complicated. Uh, Religion takes the simplicity of the gospel and complicates it. So religion takes the purity of Jesus and makes it fuzzy. Religion takes the cry of grace and truth and muffles it under a pillow of rules and, and, and rituals and reputation. And when people tell you that they have a problem with God, they do not have a problem with God. They have a problem with God as religious people have presented him, which is usually boring, toothless, and angry. Some combination of those three things. When people tell you they have a problem with church, they don't have a problem with church. They have a problem with church used by people as a vehicle, not for the saving of the world, which is what Jesus intended it for, but as a vehicle for protecting their traditions and their preferences. Religion is, a relation, religion is relationship complicated. And there is nothing Jesus was more passionate about than correcting religion. Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus shows up on the scene of first century Israel to a religious elite that has overcomplicated the gospel, that has overcomplicated the, even the old covenant. And so if you look, actually it's on the wall, I didn't remember that till now, but Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require? Love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? Somebody says, what does it mean to be a Christian? Love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with God. That is really the old covenant that is walking with God uh, boiled down. But by the time Jesus shows up on the, first century, on the scene of first century Israel, here's what has happened. It's been complicated. And so now we don't take more than 100 steps on the Sabbath because it's the Sabbath and you rest on the Sabbath. We don't pull our oxen out of the pit that they've fallen into because that would be work and we don't work on the Sabbath. Doctors aren't allowed to heal people on the Sabbath because that would be work and we don't work on the Sabbath. With the Sabbath, We're required to, to tithe, so we're going to count out every last little grain of our, of our dill and our mint and our cumin and weigh it exactly to make sure we're giving exactly 10% and no more. Uh, you have to come to the temple to worship and, and you have to make sacrifices, but you have to pay to buy the animal you're going to sacrifice in temple coin, which means it needs exchange three times before you can use the right coin. What happened to love justice? Love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly. What, what happened with that? Jesus is fighting against religion, which has taken relationship and made it complicated. Jesus was fighting against religion. He was fighting for us to understand the heart of God. He was fighting for us to walk with him. And so Matthew eleven twenty eight in the message, fabulous verse says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, that's what Jesus came for. Come and learn the unforced rhythms of grace with me. Learn, live freely and lightly. Recover your life. I will give you a real rest. It is entirely entirely far and away from religion. And so Jesus comes to offer us something different. He comes to offer us something more simple. He comes to offer us something more basic. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love, Burt Bacharach. What the world needs now, what the world needs now is the people of Jesus to be absolutely a thousand percent crystal clear on the basics and to shout a loud no to everything else.
It needs a church to be crystal clear on the basis, basics and shout a loud no to anything that even smells of religion. It needs a church that gets to the basics of a, res, of, a, of, a, of a Jesus who lives a perfect life and dies a sinless death and rises again and who invites us into a life so compelling that even just rushing up against it changes you like you were walking down a hallway that was painted and it got on your sweater. Jesus isn't looking to recruit people into a club or weigh them down with rules. He will he is looking for people who, who, who were getting to the heart and wanting to follow a new way of living. That's what the earliest Christians were called. They were not called Christians. They were not called, insert political party here, they were called, they were not called evangelicals. They were, they were called followers of the way. Jesus was inviting people into a way, a way that was not religious, but into a relationship and that language of a relation. We're going to school, guys. Sorry, this is going to be a different sermon. You just got to buckle down with me. The language for our relationship with Jesus is discipleship. Computers speak 01010011. The language of the kingdom is discipleship. Jesus was looking for disciples. Literally in the Greek, the word means learner. He was looking for learners who would walk closely with him, who would live their life exactly how he would live it if he were in their place. In the 90s, I had a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do, right? And that's a good question, but the ultimate core of that question is not what would Jesus do, it's what would Jesus do if he woke up tomorrow and lived Kyle's life? And however Jesus would live my life tomorrow is how I am to live it. Steph should feel like she's married to Jesus. Sorry. Um, uh, Aaron and Sarah, who live with us now, I don't know if you know this, but we've, we, have, we, have, if you, we have room in our basement. So if you're a millennial and you need a home, <laughs> we got the place for you. Um, uh, Aaron and Sarah are living with us. Aaron and Sarah should feel like they're living with Jesus. I left my underwear on the floor yesterday. Sorry, Jesus probably wouldn't do that. Um, uh, uh, and, and Sarah doesn't share our bathroom though, so it's all good. So she didn't see my undies, only Aaron did. And, um, um, and uh, my, my coworkers, my staff, the staff I get to work with should feel like they're working with Jesus. My friends should feel like they're friends with Jesus. That's what's at the core of discipleship. Disciples are, are, seek to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And discipleship, hear me on this, this is not the destination for a committed few. Discipleship is not the destination of like the 20% of serious Christians surrounded by the 80% who let the 20% do the work. The doorway to following Jesus is discipleship. The entry point to following Jesus is discipleship. Jesus didn't say, hey, come to church a couple times a month and it'll be good. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, come, take up your cross daily and follow me. That is the basic code of discipleship. And if you're at a place in your journey right now where like I'm coming to church every once in a while, like I'm trying this out because some of you are new to Jesus and so you're like, man, I like went to church like twice in the last eight weeks. Like, whoa, <laughs> right? And all of us that were raised to like go to church every week are like, well, that must be nice. But I, I um, to live guilt-free in that way. But um but, 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 and so some of you are there, I get that. Here, guess what? 2018, we're up in the challenge hard, okay? Jesus operates on a spectrum from invitation to challenge. We love you. We're a super invitational community. This is gonna be a very challenging sermon series for you. It's gonna get all up in there. This is what it's like to go to coffee with me is kind of what we're having. I'm gonna, I ask hard questions and now everybody's all, suddenly my schedule gets very light, right? Um, I am in my office all the time. It just so happens that my office is wherever I am. 
So if you ever wanted to find me, going to 1725 Drexel Avenue Northwest is not a good idea because I will not be there. I am maybe there two hours a week. My office is, I am always in the office. My office is wherever I need to be in that moment. And a lot of times I get to have coffee and ask a lot of questions about where a person's at spiritually and what their next step is. And I spend probably a solid third of my time doing that. And we're kind of having a conversation today, you and I, as if we were at coffee. It's just faster for me to do this in one fell swoop than with all 60 of you one at a time. Because we want to up the challenge and we want to follow after Jesus and we want to embed discipleship, not as just ancillary to what we do as a church, but that discipleship is the operating system of our church. But don't worry, it won't do the weird thing that when you make a period, it's actually like an A with an accent above it, like when that iOS update happened. What we're trying to do is make the iOS of our church discipleship. We're trying to make it that. So this series basic gets to the heart of, just because it's basic does not mean it's easy, by the way. So Jesus, the basic operating system for Jesus in the kingdom is what we're talking about, this lifestyle that Jesus lives. That does not mean it is easy. Does not mean that it is easy. But as we step into this, I think we'll find Jesus is, not only is there more challenge, there's so much more invitation that with that. Jesus, Jesus is calling us to be disciples and the good news is that he models that first, that Jesus never asks us to do what he himself has not done. Jesus does not ask us to do what he himself has not done. And so he models for us a lifestyle discipleship, a lifestyle that is marked by three basic relationships. Up, his relationship with the Father, in his relationship with those who do not, you know, not yet know, and out, no, in with those who know, out with those who do not yet know, we, who do not yet know, and we see Jesus living this life in Luke chapter six. So look with me at Luke chapter six. Luke six, chapter six. Got a little bookmark here from a kid at Grace Campus named Hayden. He's uh, nine or ten. It says, "May God daily fill your life with blessings without end, for you're more than a pastor. You're our brother and friend." So super sweet kid. Me a joke today. Told me a joke today. How do you find Will Smith in the, in the snow? How do you find Will Smith in the snow? You look for his fresh prints. <laughs> Dude, how awesome is that, right? Oh, man. Okay, Luke chapter 6. Watching for Jesus to live this up in and out lifestyle. Here we go. As a disciple. One, one day soon, verse 12. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names, in case you ever need it at a trivia night. Luke chapter 6, okay? Um, so there's the names. Verse 17, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. And there were people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from far, as far north as the sea coasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Jesus' first relationship, uh, his most basic, his most important, is his relationship with his father, his up relationship. He was most serious about his up relationship because the depth and quality of his relationships in and out were measured by his up. Uh, Ron Sauer, there's a couple Moody Bible Institute graduates in the room. Ron Sauer, Bible intro, class from Alabama. Class, you know you can't have a, a relationship that's deeper than your relationship with the Lord, right? He was actually talking about girlfriends and boyfriends, but it's true, right? The depth of any relationship you have is can only go as deep as you love Jesus. 
And so Jesus focuses most on his up because that creates the qual that defines and qualifies his in and out relationship. And the text says, Jesus went away and, and prayed all night. In Mark 1, Jesus, it says, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Jesus constantly focused on his up relationship. I mean, you read the Gospels, and it feels like half the time, everybody's like, hey, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Like, where'd you go? Right, and it's because Jesus went off to a quiet place to pray by himself over and over again, because that was him living into this intimate and authentic, loving, compelling relationship that he had with his father. And, and the way that, if I were to ask you, how's your up relationship right now? A lot of you would say, well, I went to church this week, so. The interesting thing about Jesus' up relationship with his father was that it was primarily expressed, not corporately, but privately and through prayer. And so we kind of, our spiritual life, my spiritual life is corporate stuff, kind of upheld a little bit by like individual like prayer time. Blah, blah, blah. It's really the other way around. It's that our, our prayer life is the primary expression of how we engage with Jesus. It is supported by corporate stuff. We have to develop a language and a comfort in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of our Father, just like Jesus was, and that's hard. It is hard to do that, but 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 Jesus does this awesome thing with us. Jesus invites us into His own relationship with the Father. It's like He half cheeks it with us. You know what I'm talking about when you half cheek it, like you there's not enough chairs somewhere, so you and your friend each have half a cheek on the chair, right? Same chair, each you have half a cheek, right? Um, this is what Jesus does. He invites us to half-cheek it in his relationship with his Father. So that when we, look, when we look at Jesus' relationship with the Father, it is not something to attain to. This is important, by the way. Jesus' relationship with the Father, his life of prayer and spiritual practice and his knowledge of who God is and his companionship with God, that is not something that we have to attain to by like leveling up our Pokemon to level 100, right? It is, it is something that we already, already possess, and have access to, the question is whether or not we are taking it up, right? It is not that Jesus lived a life that was like for the super spiritual only, it's that we're all invited into that life, it's just a question of whether or not we're walking into the room. Jesus modeled the up, then he models the in. It says at daybreak he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Now. Jesus at this time has a couple of rings around him. And the first one is the crowds, the huddled masses. You know, so these are the people that are coming to Jesus, like, feed me, heal my son, da 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 They need Jesus for something. Inside that ring are the disciples, and it's a growing group. These are people that have left their nets, left their lives, are following Jesus around for him to teach them. But within that group, Jesus picks 12 guys to invest himself into, 12. And of those 12, he picks in particular three and spends the most time with them. In fact, scholars look at Jesus' life and say anywhere between one-third to one-half, possibly even more, of the three years Jesus spent in public ministry was not spent healing crowds or teaching or, or casting out demons or healing sick people or any of the flashy stuff. A lot of it was spent on the road, around fires, in homes, investing in particular in these 12 people. And of those 12, one screws it up, uh, and three, he invests in more. Now, if I'm one of the other guys, I'm like, why is, when does Peter get to spend so much time with Jesus? <laughs> right? I'm kind of like, Peter is a, Peter is a jerk. 
I should pick Kyle, right? And, uh, and here's the funny thing. Uh, here's the funny thing. Jesus does not operate his ministry in a way that we would operate it. We would assume the bigger the crowd, the bigger the influence, the more he would invest. But generally, the bigger the crowd gets, the more often Jesus goes and hides. More often than not, the bigger the crowd gets, the more heavily Jesus invests in the 12 and into the three. And, and truth be told, it feels unfair to us. It feels unfair that Jesus would pick three people over anybody else, but that's because Jesus understands that while everybody is equally important, not everybody is equally strategic. And so Jesus invests himself in these 12 guys. One of them screws the pooch. 11 of them literally turn the world upside down after three years of walking around with a guy named Jesus who before that they were all fishing. Literally, because of these 11 men, you and I are in this room. And Jesus had three years with them. And so the in relationship that Jesus demonstrates, on the one hand, yes, is this cuddly, snuggly, like love one another, speak the truth to one another, serve one another in love, show one another hospitality, all these one another statements from the New Testament, great. Um, snuggle time, that's fine, right? Um, but the other side of the in that Jesus demonstrates is this intentional investing into the lives of people that he wants to see mobilized for the kingdom. Jesus envisions the church to be a mentoring culture where everyone is being mentored and everyone is mentoring, right? See, that's hard. That is harder than I come, I come to the one things, da, 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 da. like it is harder to invest into that kind of life because that requires great vulnerability and great risk and great opening of our lives. But that's the, the culture that Jesus envisions is a mentoring culture where everyone is being mentored and mentoring. That is the in dynamic that we see Jesus taking care of. They're, they're eating meals, they're spending time, but Jesus is investing and mobilizing these, these 12 guys in particular in three of them. So they move from the up to the in to the out. They go from up to in to out. And up is where the power comes from, but in is the filter, right? The quality and strength and health of the in determines the effectiveness of the out. Um, and we'll talk about that again in a second. Out, it talks about how Jesus goes to a crowd and starts healing them, right? So he's spent all night in prayer, up. Then he, then he um, taught, works with the disciples, picks two of them after praying about it. He's investing in the in. And now he's getting these guys together to do the out. Jesus cares for those who do not yet know. Jesus thinks that lost people are important to God. Jesus thinks that lost people matter to his father. And Jesus sees the crowds and has compassion on them. Like the text says, a sheep, like, like they are sheep without a shepherd. He is moved to love and engage with lost people. And so for Jesus, the most important person was the next person. Whether that is in a preaching setting or in a setting where he's one-on-one -on -one talking with the woman at the well, Jesus is always investing himself in the lives of do not know. And and I remember I had a conversation with somebody here at Regen that's kind of growing as a disciple in those early stages. And they said something like, I think I just realized that I'm responsible to tell other people about my faith. And it was said with a tone of like, oh no, right? Uh, because isn't it easier if we just outsource this? Like I'll bring them to church, Kyle will talk to them, Kyle will fix it, and then we move to the next thing. That's not how it works. Everybody's on the team. Everybody has a responsibility. And even though there's the more, the longer you're in church, um, especially for those of us that grew up in the church, like how many sermons have we heard about like, share with your friends, right? That's very guilt-ridden, right? 
And so we're gonna talk at the end of this series, we're gonna look at each one of these relationships. We're gonna spend two weeks on in and another week on out um, and hit a little bit of up today. And on the out one, hopefully give you a strategy that is guilt-free because it helps you come alongside what God is doing instead of dragging God awkwardly into conversations, right? So wouldn't that be nice, right? Instead of when the waiter's like, do you want some water? What's my joke, right? Like, oh, did you know Jesus is the living water, right? Um, instead of dragging God awkwardly into conversations, how do I see where God is working and come alongside that? Jesus sends up, in, and out. And this little triangle, it's, it's not law, it's not anything else other than Jesus told stories to a culture that could remember stories. You and I watch a lot of YouTube videos, therefore we are a visual culture, so there's a visual cue, right? That I could draw this triangle on the back of a napkin and we could have a conversation. And in fact, we do in my Bible study and as a staff, and you'll even see next week at Discover Region, all of our ministries are built around up, in, and out. So what is, what is each one? Jesus models this up, in, and out lifestyle, and, it's, and here, let me, let me get practical with you. It is not about achieving balance. The goal is not to have equally strong up, in, and out. Uh, it, while it is a model to follow, which is good, it is also a mirror through which we self-reflect. It is a mirror with which we self-reflect. So on the back of your program, there's all that blank space. Go ahead and draw the triangle, and I think there's pens lying around in buckets, or just do it in your head. And take a minute and rate, on a scale of one to 10, your up, in, and out relationships. Rate that. So if Kyle were doing this, and one is, I suck at this, and 10 is, I'm so good, Jesus is jealous. <laughs> okay? One, one through 10. If I were to rate myself right now, I would say up is at about seven, in is at about a five or six, and out is at about four. Okay? You can rate, you, this is actually a helpful tool, you can rate your small group, you can rate your family, you can rate our church. If you were to ask me about our church, I would say, we did this as a staff and I feel like it was like seven, five, three. Up seven, in five, out three, maybe. I can't remember. We also did it when we were in Fort Wayne, some of us. So rate yourself. And, and so you rate yourself. Like Kyle rates himself as a seven. Well, why am I rating myself as a seven? Well, probably this time last year, I would have actually said my up was at like a five or six. Because truth be told, at that season, like a good amount of up time personally was maybe once or twice a week that I would have some time to spend with Jesus because my schedule was crazy and I wasn't doing it right. And so the goal isn't, okay, my up is at seven, I need to get in and out at seven. The up, it's, okay, so my up's at seven, my in's at six, and my out is at five. Um, why? why? Why is that? Why, so part of it is, um, if you'd asked me two years ago, my, I would have said I'm in an up and out season. And in the last three or four months, God has called us into an up and in season. And as Steph and I have processed that, it's because we've moved from this out of a lot, reaching a lot of people and invest, but to this in kind of investing in our community. And, and there's a couple reasons that this is good. One, because we've had a hard couple of years and Jesus is inviting us in to be cared for. Okay. Also because we realize that even if we invest a lot of out, if the in is gross, people don't want to come from out to in. Right? So Jesus has called us into the season of in. If we're still in an in season in another nine months, Kyle's going to start getting itchy, right? Because I'm like, well, what about the next person, right? But, but you've got to keep the in cleaned up 
because they're right now our upstairs office in our house, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disaster zone. And, and do you, I don't know if you're like me, but when there's a room in your house that's crazy, you kind of just like close the door and just keep on going, right? And because I don't want to go in there. It's, it's, I can't think. It's crazy. We've, we've done some work this week on it. And, and so we've got to keep the, the reason I think Jesus is calling us into an in season is to kind of clean up that space so that as regen, we have like something that glues us together. This is why we do feast nights at our house once a month. Okay. That's an in practice. Be inviting your friends to church, but they don't care about church. They care about friendships. So that happens at in. So you work through these and you rate yourself, and, and I'm going to next week, and I may even post it online this week, there's a whole bunch of questions that I have that go with each one of these. So Dan, pull up the up questions, would you? So as you rate yourself, you also start thinking about, do I pursue intimacy with Jesus, or am I avoiding it? Do I float by, assuming that it's happening? Do I make enough space for prayer? Am I enjoying prayer? Do I feel at home in God's presence? Do I feel at home in God's presence? Those are good questions to reflect on your up. Here's some in questions. Who am I discipling and pouring into in this season? Do I grumble and complain about anything? No, it's fine. Next question. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, resent, or dismiss? I actually want to add, is there anybody I fear, dislike, resent, dismiss, or avoid? I actually like everyone, so it's fine. <laughs> out, here's some out questions. Do I have a heart for people who don't know Jesus? How often do I share my faith? What fruit has come from that? Not a lot of fruit from, did you know Jesus is the living water? Not a lot of fruit from that. Do I leave time? This is a bad closed question. It should be open. How do I leave time for relationships with those who don't know Jesus? How am I leaving time? It is one thing to say, do I leave time? Well, sure. Like, I mean, I like talk to somebody randomly every once in a while, but is there an open seat on my bus to be friends with somebody? There's always an open seat on our bus to pursue somebody that we don't know Jesus. So we're having some people over in our home right now to try to... And by the way, here's, here's some good language. I am never going to present myself to you as a perfect example. I will only ever present myself to you as a living example. Okay. I'm not a perfect example, I am a living one. And so I can tell you about some of the rhythms that Kyle and Steph and, and the many millennials are kind of embedding into our lives right now as we make some patterns out of the up in and out lifestyle that we see Jesus living, because that's what it is, it's a lifestyle, right? It is not, it is not Christmas bulbs strung together and bumped into accidentally. The up in and out lifestyle of Jesus is a lifestyle that he lives and if we do it, if we, if we want to make this a lifestyle, ultimately we have to make what's called predictable patterns out of it, right? Because if I'm not predictable with it, it's never going to happen. So a predictable pattern in our house right now is when we have a meal, whether it's me and Steph or me and Steph and Sarah and Aaron or some combination of the above, the, the pattern is we will not pray together. We will just say, what are you grateful for? That is an up rhythm, right? An rhythm that we probably need to grow into more is praying for the people that we sense God is working in right? An in rhythm is we're having a meal together. So there's, see, there's a predictable pattern there. So, and, and the good news is parents, man, if you're a parent, predictable patterns is where the money is at, right? Because without predictable patterns, everything's kind of all the time. But if we can build predictable patterns 
in. Okay, when we're eating, we're doing this. When we're this, we're doing this. When we're driving home from church, we're saying, you know, whatever. That we build, build into that up, in and out lifestyle. So here's your homework. I want you to, this week, take some time to reflect on your up, in, and out. And you draw those numbers again, and then I want you to really kind of ask God, why? Why am I rating my seven? Why am I rating my up a seven and in a five? And, and God, what changed? do you have? Is it supposed to be higher? What kind of season am I in? Here's where we're moving to as a church that's hard. We are moving from information to transformation. We're moving from information to transformation. Churches do this thing where it's all about information all of the time, right? So you come here, sermon, I have this information, I move on. Because Christians, a mentor of mine says, are insight junkies. Okay? So tweetable statements from Kyle does not make you a disciple. It just makes you somebody that likes me in a weird way right? Makes you one of my Facebook stalkers, which is fine. That's adorable. I appreciate that. But insights do not make a disciple. What makes a disciple is a predictable pattern of up in and out lived as a lifestyle over a period of time in community. And so we're moving from information as a where I could just hear a sermon and live it out. I'm now moving to transformation, which means I need to look at this triangle and bring it home and have it on a piece of paper and use it in prayer and have, uh-oh, a conversation with God to engage in this. Some of you are new to Jesus, and I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. This is like you just got jumped, like thrown into like graduate-level geometry, right? That's Okay. Um, they're still squares, so they're still recognizable things, right? Um, um, so this is where we do this in community because we need people walking alongside of us to do this well. Um, if you are walking with Jesus and have been for some time, this is a conversation that you can have and should be able to have with others, right? I'm just trying to stir some junk up in us. Not my usual sermon. I want to look it up for just a minute. Jesus in Luke 3 has this experience. Can you pull up that Luke 3 for me, Dan? One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. This is the major impetus to getting baptized because Jesus did it, so probably a good idea. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now here's why I'm bringing this up. In Jesus' relationship with his father, the language was of joy and the language was of togetherness. But you and I, more often than not, do not be... Well, hang on. First of all, slow down. I'm excited to tell you all of this. Okay. First of all, when you half-cheek this relationship with Jesus, with his father, you become a son and daughter of the king. That's who you are. The very fundamental nature of your identity, you are a son and daughter. Which, by the way, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. Every human is not God's child. It's not true. You know, when somebody says, like, well, we're all God's children. Actually, don't make my daddy somebody. Don't be giving my daddy away, okay? Everybody, everybody is created in the image of God and is therefore worthy of dignity and honor. Everybody, not everybody is God's child. You are only given the right to be God's child through faith in Jesus. So that's my, like, little, like, Hollywood. I hate that when people say this during the Oscars, right? Like, we're all God's children. No, don't be giving away my daddy, okay? That's one thing. Um, second of all, you are a son and daughter of the king, but more often than not, we behave like slaves and orphans. You're a son or a daughter of the king, you behave like a slave or an orphan. 
An orphan believes that they are unworthy of love and easily forgotten, and a slave believes if they don't do everything right, they're screwed. Slaves and orphans talk about their, their relationship with God in the language of should, must, need to, and have to. Slaves say, I should go to church. Slaves say, I need to, go, I need to give more. Slaves say, I should be showing up to serve more. Slaves say, I need to read my Bible more. Slaves say, I, wrote it, I rated my up a seven. I should be more faithful. Well, is that really what God's saying? Because here's the reality. God does not communicate to his children as if they are slaves and orphans. He does not tell us should, need to, must, or have to. Instead, he invites us into a new way of living. He says, Vanessa, um, I want to invite you into a deeper relationship with me through prayer. He says, Colleen, I want to invite you into more authentic, vulnerable community. He, he, he says, he says, um, he says, Aaron, I, I, want, I want to invite you to be a part of what I'm doing in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. They, he says, Dan, I, I want to I want to I want to help you feel at home in my presence. Not and maybe the next step is so what if we read scripture together? Right? Not so read your bible more would you you jerk, right? But that's how we think. And what I'm safeguarding against as we do this is allowing a culture of shame to develop in our church which is that we all feel like we're failing all of the time and that we're not good enough. And so we need to chase down this God to make sure he's not unhappy. That's not what we're doing. I'm not saying that there's not next steps. I'm not saying that it doesn't get concrete. I'm not, what I'm saying is, Jesus does not communicate in shoulds because he finds great joy in us. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. And that's not mean that there's not challenge or rebuke. I mean, parents often, I, I seem to watch the banning kids kind of yank the leash back sometimes, right? I think I watched Jairus and Randy kind of hold up, boundaries have been crossed. But, but ultimately, there's a security of love that comes from us that I'm trying to invite us into. And so when we talk about living an up lifestyle, here are a couple things you could do. Um, you could begin a practice of giving name to gratitude on a regular basis. You could keep a prayer journal. You could use drive time to pray or to worship. You could download and follow the Read Scripture app from the Bible Project. Guys, if you're not nerding out on the Bible Project, you're missing out. Okay, Bible Project, it's all free videos on like the outline of how a book works. It's so cool. We use it in my guy's Bible study all the time. We probably used it one time in a bad way. We were going to study the book of Ecclesiastes, then we watched this video and we were like, oh, I think we just, oops, it's done now, <laughs> right? Because I guess we know it. All right. So uh, it's that good. Join a Bible study. Steph's got a woman's one. I've got a guy's one. Um, there's a few ones that involve some couples. Art and Pam are leading some Joy Starts here groups still. And... But none of those should be, I should be reading scripture. None of them should be, I got I to gotta be reading that Bible app thing. I got to get serious. None of it should be, um, man, I'm not worshiping enough. I suck. It's always, what is the father inviting me into? We're moving from information to transformation, from insight to like conversation and not shame uh, because scripture says, scripture says, see what manner of love the father has lavished on us that we should be called his children. So I know this is kind of a different sermon. The next series are actually going to be different. Next, um, next week, I am bringing four or five people from campus as a panel so that you guys have a face for those people. So it's not like I have this other family and an apartment on the other side of town that I keep secret from you. Um, um, 
I'm gonna bring four or five of you with me to Grace Campus next week so they can kind of have a face to who we are and what we're doing because we are in, we are brothers and sisters together, but it's gonna be different because it's gonna be a lot more practical. I'm gonna be a lot more in your face. The challenge is gonna be there, but guess what? I love you. And Jesus' invitation and challenges in our lives do not come with should, must, who need to, have to, but hey, arm around the shoulder. What's next? Let's pray and take communion and get out of here. Jesus, thanks for just the way you work in our lives. Thanks for not laying um, heavy burdens on us. Man, that is such, Jesus, you are, that is such good news. It is such good news that you do not want to lay heavy burdens on us. It is such good news that your presence in our life means something different. And so my prayer is for my friends, for my brothers and sisters, um, that we would be um, just wrapped up in your love again. And that even if this week we strike out trying to do something new to live into this up relationship, that it would not be, it wouldn't be something um, shame ridden, but instead would be life giving for us. So we love you and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.